Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. And Anthony Sanfilippo, I think we'll explain that in one here. A little bit of a different dynamic to today's show, something that we uh, will incorporate moving forward at times throughout this season. And listen, this is our second show. We talked about some uh, big picture spring training items last Friday. We're going to narrow down on some some specific subjects in this episode today. Excited to jump into it. So, Anthony, why don't you go ahead and kind of explain to everybody what's happening here? Yeah, and I know that you're talking to me because it was, we talked about me being the one to explain this and not him. Um, so, yes, uh, one of the things we wanted to do this year to ensure, you know, I, it was funny because we, we put this whole thing out last week, Bob, saying uh, we're going to be doing two shows a week and then... Um, the morning after games, we're going to be doing like the quick hitter, 15-minute recap kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we were really excited about it. And people responded and were like, this is great, but you guys aren't going to do it. Yeah, you're just not going to do it. Yeah, there's no way. You guys go away for a week, two weeks all the time. Yeah, yeah, you say you're going to do it, you're not going to do it. Well, the way we decided that we were going to make sure and hold ourselves accountable that we could do this, uh, even if something came up like you having a second child, um, or, or something else that goes, goes awry. Maybe, you know, I get sick or something like that, um, is to have a third person on call available, ready to rock and roll. And of course, being the fact that this is uh, a world, uh, just like in pro sports where, um, it's, it's who it's not very nepotistic. It's patronage jobs, the people, you know, and you're related to, uh, my son, uh, Anthony Jr. has Gary has, uh, willingly accepted the role of, being that person to jump in if one of us can't be available um, to make sure that uh, that we can, uh, you know, keep the show going and, and keep doing what we're doing. He is a, just to kind of give a little bit of background, the guy is not a sports writer. He doesn't work for a blog. He doesn't, not, none of this. He's a mathematical genius, right? Works in compliance right it sits there crunches numbers all day but because he does that he just so happens to be a wackadoo baseball statistical nerd uh maybe knows more about baseball stats than anybody i know sorry present company excluded so i asked him if he would be willing to do it and he said yeah absolutely would so junior is uh joining us today for this episode just to, to kind of give an introduction to him and let the uh let the listeners know uh, who the third third voice will be if Bob and I are not available? Thanks, guys. That's awesome. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm looking forward to it too, just because I'm ready to gang up on your dad. Really, <laughs> I, that's really the only reason I agreed to this. So, <laughs> I'll give you the analytics stuff. So there you go. So you know, one of the things that that we were talking about last week is that we're we're not there yet. We're not playing games yet. The start of the regular season is still 
weeks away. And so how do you kind of bridge the gap between the start where, you know, you get pitchers and catchers coming in and, and the start of the regular season, what, which is what everybody's amped up for. But we already this weekend had a few different developments that I, I thought were kind of interesting. And there are things we want to talk about today. We're going to talk about the rule changes and how they apply to the Phillies. We have some different talking points that I want to break down. But the one piece of news that, that sort of came out over the weekend, I, I assume that both of you saw this, was Scott Lauber of the Philadelphia Inquirer did a sit-down with John Middleton. And, you know, the to paraphrase, basically John Middleton said, nobody's going to remember 100 years from now, you know, how much money you made or, you know, if you were able to stay under the luxury tax. That's not what people are going to recall uh, about an, an owner's tenure. What they're going to recall is the ability to put trophies in the case. And obviously, as a fan, I, I think that you probably see those comments and you're excited about them. I guess when I'm at it, my question to, to both of you would be like, so you see him say this. He doesn't have to say that. I mean, he can he can think that privately. He doesn't have to go on record and put that out there for everybody to see. So do you think that those comments in any way are indicative about how he plans to operate moving forward? And do you think it puts a little bit more pressure on him? Does it put more pressure on the organization to continue to keep their foot on the gas. They've already spent a ton of money. They've already been very aggressive. But this this kind of hold them even more accountable as this thing unwinds here? So, Bob, you you know, we, we had the uh, ability to talk to John um, after the NLCS. Like, the, the guy is very easily accessible. Or he, he likes to talk, right? He's a guy who likes to talk. Chatted with us in the, in the clubhouse for, you know, a good 15 minutes after, you know, that just the two of us, right? Talking about, you know, the where the Phillies were and, and how crazy the run had been. So he's he's he likes to hear himself talk sometimes, and that's not a that's not a negative. That's 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 a great thing. I mean, you want your your owners and your front office people to be able to talk a lot, right? I mean, that's we want that openness and transparency. I think John Middleton sometimes gets caught up in the I want to make sure I say things that make Philadelphia love me kind of kind of mentality and that's not a bad it's not necessarily a bad thing like he gets it a little bit he understands what the city wants to hear and what they what they care about um but the but the reality of the situation is is if you go back just a couple of years this is the same guy who was making himself sound like a fool sitting in front of the media at the end of the season press conference trying to throw out second half bullpen era stats to explain you know, why we should be excited about the team finishing under 500 yet again when they had such great expectations. I was like, there that day. It was, I thought, one of the worst press conferences I've I've ever seen, honestly. It was it was horrible. Right. So, I mean, I mean, look, I, yes, when when the times are right and the time is, like, it, when they signed Bryce Harper, our, you know, the things that he's said in past off seasons, I want my damn trophy back. I mean, things along those lines. I mean, yeah, people get fired up about that. And it's good. There's, I'm not, I don't want this to sound like a criticism of John Middleton because it's not. But at the same time, I do think that that he plays this card maybe a little bit too often, if that makes if that makes a lot of any sense to you at all. Yeah. So the the question I guess I have is like, what is there to be gained by this? Like, and and maybe from a more practical standpoint. This team, we talked a little bit about this last week. I know the expectations are great. We're talking about a team that's coming off of a World Series appearance. There's a lot of hype, a lot of optimism about this team. 
do you think if they get to the end of July, there are a couple games out, they, they seem to be missing a piece or two, do you think that they're in a position where they might add? Because really, like that's what this is all about to me. We talked about the urgency that this organization needs to approach this season with. They're already all in from a financial standpoint. They're already one of the highest spending clubs out there. Do you think that there's more in the tank here? Like, Do you think that they could continue to push forward and really, I mean, really do something that would make a big difference that might bridge that gap between them and Atlanta, that gap between them and New York, at least the perceived gap entering the season? Oh, I, th- I think they're going to keep spending. I think if if come j- end of July, they're within a couple games of even the division, even if they're looking good in the wild card, you have to go out and add that extra piece because they think they're aware of their window. I think they know, like, we put all this money in, we got to get this trophy before these guys get older, before we get to the latter half of these contracts. So him saying that is, I, th- I think, is honestly a good thing to try to promote the momentum of the Phillies and after coming off the World Series and coming off the Eagles, losing the Super Bowl. This city has so much momentum right now. Keep the train going, keep the people excited, but that means you have to. It has to pay off because in three years, to four years time, if they don't have a trophy in that case, that comment's going to come back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, I, and one thing also, Bob, is I I want to I think this about John Middleton too. There's so much talk in baseball around the sport about Steve Cohen and the Mets and how much money that guy spends, and then his comments were, you know, he doesn't care what you know what how other owners want to run their teams. He's going to run his team the way he wants to run it. He's going to spend the kind of money he's going to spend. Um, and it really makes, a, in all honesty, it makes a lot of owners really look bad. It makes them all look cheap, right? I don't think John Middleton wants to be in that included in that group. I think John Middleton wants to be a guy, and his competitive nature wants him to be a guy that says, oh, yes, yeah, Steve, all right, I'm right there with you. I'm going to spend with you. And I think that that's, and there's, again, like Anthony said, that there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good, that's a positive. It's a good thing. But I think that Middleton takes that personally. So let's just say that this thing plays out sort of the way that we're speculating. Phillies are obviously a good team. They're winning ball games. They're probably not going to be a division favorite at any point uh, unless something crazy happens, injuries. Maybe they just play above expectation. But we get to the middle of July, and we're talking about a team that is, is pretty good but has a flaw or two. You know, we didn't really talk about this ahead of time, so if you don't have a, an answer, a definitive answer, you know, I apologize just because I'm I'm kind of setting you up here, both of you. But, okay, they have to go all in. They have to keep their foot on the gas. They have to make a deal before the deadline. What do you think that deal is? Like, wh- what do you think the deficiency that they will need to address might be? Is it is it another bullpen piece? Is it a... Is it a center fielder, or do you think it's going to be more just depth related? Like, hey, we need a we need another outfield bat that can hit left-handed pitching. Like, what you, is you, it that, that's right. Push this team? You never know. I mean, obviously, you never know. It, it could be it, whatever the need is could manifest itself in any number of ways. Whether it be you know someone failing to perform up to the level that they expected them to perform at, somebody gets hurt and is out for the season, and they got to replace that position, right? Um, but if, if you're going purely on, let's imagine nobody's hurt, and you've just got the current roster as is, you know, and and, and where is your level of expectation? I, I still say, Bob, it, it could end up being another arm. And and when I say that, I say that because I really do think they're going to manage try and manage innings as best as possible. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about Painter on the last episode. They're obviously not going to make, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to throw 180 innings as a rookie, right? 19, 20 year old rookie. They're going to probably keep him in that one, try to keep him in that 115 to 120 range, if we're being fair. 
Um, and I also think that when you look at guys like Wheeler and Nola, I mean, they've been leaning on them for a lot of innings, right? A, maybe if you're going to make such an investment, we're talking about Nola getting potentially getting a new contract, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. If you're going to if you're going to make those kinds of financial commitments to these guys and spend all that money, maybe you want to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on their usage a little too. So I like I look at it and say, yeah, I mean, there's a chance that guys don't live up to expectations. Maybe Brandon Marsh is not an everyday center fielder, right? You know, maybe there's a step back, you know, somewhere else. Um, or or maybe, oh, who knows? Maybe Nick Castellanos doesn't have that bounce back year that we all hope that he has this year. Well, I mean, um, you saw his Instagram, right? So, yeah. <laughs> all right. In my Instagram drop, I mean, yeah, I'm getting 45 home runs now. Yeah, like 290. So, yeah, but that was the original audio in that Instagram too, which was pretty funny. No, but my point, my point being that, and we know Dombrowski always says you can never have enough arms. You can never have enough. You know, in in that road, and who knows? Maybe Taiwan Walker doesn't pan out as well as you'd like. There's a lot of things that can happen, right? Pitching is always the the place where things can go awry. I, to me, I think that's probably where you're spending. Uh, you know, although we saw last year, he spent in four different places at the at the deadline or just before the deadline. Prove the bench, improve center field, improve the rotation, like improve the bullpen. I mean, he Dombrowski went and did what he had to do last year. Wouldn't be surprised if it was multiple places again this year. And I don't know if you agree. I, I think it's going to be more so in the outfield, not because of necessarily Brandon Marsh, but uh, also because Nick Castellanos, you never know what he's going to do, but they don't only have depth outfielders. So, like, I mean, is it, are they just going to, if things go bad, they're just going to rely on Dalton Guthrie when time comes? Like, they traded Veerling, so if the odds are what they are, I would say you're going to need another outfielder just to get into that rotation if Marsh, Castellanos, Schwerber don't, like, aren't lights out. If they're lights out, then sure, you don't need another one, but you're gambling on A, a bounce back from Castellanos, B, a development from Marsh. And they already signed Walker. I think Walker was that like preseason Kyle Gibson move that they that they decided to make in advance to make sure they had that extra arm. And they have guys coming for the for for uh prospects for their pitching. So I think, yeah, sure, they could get like a bargain deal at the deadline for another pitcher if they need it for just to get through the season. But I don't think if they're gonna spend, they're gonna spend in the outfield. They're gonna spend to improve over something that's that it seems to be their biggest flaw right now is that last outfield piece. Yeah, and it, it's funny that you bring that up because that's kind of where I tend to look at. I, I really do think that that one of the most interesting players on this roster this season is Brandon Marsh. There's this idea that he's going to be the everyday center fielder, and we we like him for his defense. He obviously had some big postseason moments. He showed improvement offensively once he came over from the Angels. I believe he hit 288, a little over 40 games. But I, I look at it, and there's just this, this assumption that he's going to continue to take another step forward. And clearly the organization believes he's capable of it. But 105 plate appearances last year, I mean, he hit under 200 against lefties. His, I believe his OPS was 486 against left-handed pitching last year. Limited sample. Guys can get better. They can, you know, get more comfortable. But this idea that Brandon Marsh is just going to hold down center field, like, no problem, I think is is one of the biggest potential weaknesses of this roster. And if they need to make a move come the middle of this summer, my guess is it's going to be to supplement what they have out there. Yeah, and, and, and Bob, you're going to, you know, this is one of those situations, you, you said it already, you, you want to find a time where you and, and my son can gang up on me. I think this is probably going to be the first one. Um, because I know Anthony doesn't think Brandon Marsh is a great center fielder. He thinks he's better in the corners. Um, I, I will tell you that 
I think it's when you're putting a team together and you and you're going and and you're and you're trying to make it work so that you can be the best you can be, right? They've made an investment in this guy, not a big one, but an investment, never nevertheless. And he's never really had a chance to be an everyday guy playing against lefties all the time. They ended up platooning him, as you know. He was not playing center field against lefties. Veerling was playing against the lefties. They never really get, he had never really had this. Even in L.A. with the Angels, never really had that opportunity to be in every. He was always kind of that. We think he's a good prospect, and we're going to platoon him. I, I don't know if they would have been so set on moving a guy like Veerling, who a lot of people, if you look or if you listen to scouts around baseball talk about that trade, they think that was the biggest part of the deal, more so than Soto coming here was Veerling actually going to the Tigers. There's a lot of people who think that he can actually develop into a solid everyday outfielder for them, maybe not in center field, but at least an outfielder for them. Um, and I'm not certain that the Phillies give up on a guy like that if they don't buy into the belief that Brandon Marsh can come to the expectation that he had when he was a top prospect for the Angels. They, they, I, they feel like they fixed something a little bit with Kevin Long with him last year. They think he's just going to take that next step and really first get the opportunity to face left-handed pitching for the first time. I, I like to think that a lot of what they've done, not every move is is a thousand percent correct, but a lot of what they've done has worked, and the track record is there with this with Dombrowski. Yeah, you know, we're now at the place where we're giving the Phillies the benefit of the doubt. I am, I am, and I know Anthony's going to tell Anthony's going to agree with you. Go ahead. Ant. Yeah, I mean, so I, honestly, the the whole making the move. I mean, with Brandon Marsh. He is a corner outfielder, plain and simple. His defensive metrics don't play out great in center field for what you need out of a center fielder. Yeah, he can be an average defensive center fielder. He looks better than everything the Phillies have. That's why he looks great out there to us. But he's a good corner outfielder, good defensive corner outfielder. So I think even if he doesn't develop like instantly, because he is young, he's 25 years old, so he has time still. Castellanos is probably my bigger concern, honestly, because if he doesn't pan out, if, he, if by June, July, he's not looking like he was last year, I'm moving Marsh to the corner and trying to get a center center fielder and just cutting my losses with Castellanos. That's more so what I think the issue is because Marsh has time to develop. Castellanos doesn't. Yeah, so when we were when I was putting together like the, the talking points for this show, Castellanos is the one thing I ended up cutting. I'm like, I, I want to get into... I want to see some at-bats first before we have the Castellanos conversation because right now everyone's feeling good. Philly's coming off this National League pennant. And, and like, hey, you know, like he's a good hitter. He's got a track record. He's going to come back. Like, I want to just wait a week and, and see some at bats and see how everyone starts to react what they're seeing from Nick Castellanos before we have the will he bounce back conversation. But it's a it's a really interesting point. I do think it's something absolutely worth keeping an eye on. And I, I agree. You talk about the development, the potential ceiling, improvement from Marsh. That's there. The Castellanos thing is a, an entirely different variable at this point. Um. The, the other bit of, I guess if you want to call it news, we can call it that. And, you know, Anthony, you know that I'm not like a huge lineup guy. Like, I just, I'm more of like a, a matchup guy. You know, if, if you are, if you're facing a guy that you can handle, you're going to have success. If you're facing they can't handle, doesn't profile well, you're not going to have success. I truly don't, at the end of the day, believe a guy hitting one versus four versus seven, like, I just don't think it makes that much of an impact. And I, I know that's kind of crazy coming from a guy that coaches baseball and is supposed to take so much pride in lineup construction. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people disagree with me on this. But 
we get uh, an early indication from Rob Thompson that that Trey Turner is going to hit leadoff for this team. And I, I know this was supposed to be like one of the the burning questions of spring training. And we just got this early answer like, yeah, he's, he's probably going to hit leadoff. So I would ask both of you, uh, is that what you would do? Uh, are you are you excited that they finally have a guy that that pro- profiles more uh, or, you know, as more of a traditional leadoff guy? Like, what are our thoughts about Trey Turner, uh, you know, in one spot here? I, I will say this, Bob. I don't. So Rob Thompson's answer, I, I want to give it a little bit of a qualifier. He did say that. But he said until Bryce gets back. So in his mind, I still think he does. He thinks once Harper's back, that he goes back to Schwarber in the leadoff spot and puts Turner at two. Now whether that's the right thing to do or not, we can debate till the cows come home. Um, I like Turner in the leadoff spot. I just do. I think that he's an on-base machine. I mean, he hits over three hundred every year. Yeah, he can hit for power too, but his his uh, ability to run the bases and, and take extra bad he's going to steal he led the league in steals a couple years ago he's going to i think with the way that the new rule we're going to talk about the new rules a little bit when we look at the new rules i don't think they're going to have a great impact on the game but i do think that guys who are really good at base stealing currently will just be that much better with the new rules so i think a guy like trey turner all of a sudden goes from being a you know 30 to 35 base stealer a season to being maybe a 50 stolen bases a season kind of guy that you want that guy at the top of your lineup because if he's going to get on base and then steal second base all it takes is going to be a single to get him home and the and and Schwarber profiles as the guy who is going to benefit the most from the shift change like one of the few guys because of all the hard hit balls in the hole that, that he makes outs on um so if you go Turner Schwarber or you know Schwarber may have to bat a little further down until Harper gets back but if you do it the other way around then to me, I think that you're benefiting the, the lineup as opposed to putting Schwarber on base ahead of a guy who can run like Turner. And I don't know if you agree. Uh, generally, yes. I mean, it's it's on base. I don't care about his speed. If he gets on base, that's who should be leading off. And Turner's, as things stand, is the best on base guy on this roster. That's not Bryce Harper. So that's why he should be leading off. It shouldn't be a con- I mean, I know we got the bigger bases and all that. I know he's going to steal and he's going to steal a lot and you only need a single... Look at the guys that are coming up behind them. They're not singles guys. They're going to drive the ball. So you want someone who's just consistently getting on base for these hitters. So, I mean, when Schwarber gets back, if he can walk the way he was walking towards the end of the season or, you know, in the postseason, that's fine. The only issue I ever have with Schwarber leading off is the fact that he's not getting on base enough. So if Turner can get on base, that's all that that's all that matters there. Yeah, I'm, well, I have a problem with a guy hitting almost 50 home runs and not being able to drive at 100 runs. Well, that's- yeah, that's nice, but like, you know, my, my general argument is that when Bryce Harper's healthy, he should be the leadoff hitter. Yeah. That's, which is ridiculous to most folks, but that's what is Bryce Harper's biggest strength? It's his way, ability to get on base. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if you have to, if you have to move him down the lineup to give him those RBIs to make him feel good, that's important too. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we spent, I think, an entire episode last season when Schwerer was like his torrid home run pace arguing about. You know, should he be at leadoff? Should he be down in the order? They're wasting all these home runs with solo shots because nobody can get on base ahead of them. I mean, it was uh, th- that was always a point of contention. But now it is interesting. Like, you know, Rob Thompson obviously was was adamant about keeping Schwarber in the leadoff last season. Well, now, you know, he has a guy that 
and whether it's cliche or or whether it's it's sort of like narrow-minded, he profiles as a traditional leadoff man. He can get on base. He can run. You're talking about a guy in Trey Turner that over 162 games, like his 162 game average, 44 stolen bases to this point in his career. So, you know, you talk about some of the new rules that are being added on. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, I think that these rules more than anything, it's not that just that that everyone across the league is going to start stealing all of a sudden. I, I think it's really going to benefit those elite base runners, those elite base stealers. I think it's going to even maximize further their capability. And so while to me, like you said, Anthony, it, it, it shouldn't be the determining factor whatsoever, but just the ability to create a little discomfort at the top of your order with the speed element is something this team has just not had in a well-rounded player that can also get on base. Since, so, since Jimmy Rollins. Yeah. So really, in all honesty, I mean, who was the last guy that the Phillies had at the top of a lineup that you felt comfortable saying they're going to get on base 37 to 40% of the time? And then can steal fifty bags. Like you don't have they haven't had that. You know? And 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 yeah, Turner's a better hitter than Rollins ever was. So, you know, he could do he maybe do a little bit more, he's a little bit more dynamic, but they don't they haven't had that. So let's have it again. Let's let's enjoy that aspect of the game and and what it creates for your lineup. I think I think Trey Turner leadoff is a slam dunk and shouldn't be touched. To be honest, it shouldn't be touched. All right, so I think that this is probably a natural transition into the the new rule conversation, and and not just so much do you like the rules, which we can talk about, you know, do you like these modifications, but really, like, to what degree will it it hurt or help the Phillies? Does it help this team more than it helps other teams? So I, I guess the the big one, you know, is is the shift or the lack of the shift. You have to have obviously uh, the the two infielders now both on separate sides of the base. You have to be on the dirt. Like, do, What do you think this is going to do for the game? I, I know that the theory is that it's going to put more balls in play, more athleticism, showcase the, the defense. Like, what do, what do we think about this? I already see head movements here, so go ahead. Go ahead, Ant. I know I, he hates it. Go ahead. The shift change is bad for baseball, period. Um, that's As much as they want to talk about how the, it'll create more balls in play, what creates a ball in play is pitchers and hitters. Uh, not where the fielders are standing. So, yes, it will create more action. That's correct. That is the correct way to say that. Balls in play is the bigger issue, I think, here, and I think they're addressing the wrong issue with getting rid of shifts. But that's, I mean, whatever. I mean, they're, 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 people are upset about the shifts because it's what people are upset about, and it's best to make to keep the people happy. So, Dude, Do you think that there just won't really be a difference at all in batted ball profile or, well, you know... It will be a slight... Slight uptick because of the pitch clock, but that's that literally has nothing to do. The, the shifts have nothing to do with balls in play. It's not like people aren't trying to put the ball in play. They're trying to hit the ball as hard as they can every time they get to the plate. So whether they hit it to the left or the right doesn't really matter to them. So like that's that's the mindset that hitters have. That's how they're approaching. And they're all. I mean, yeah, BABIP is a, is a stat that we have that we use, and it's it, balls in play. The actual amount of them continues to drop because what else continues to rise strikeouts and walks so there's there's a different issue at play here that the mlb is not addressing but it what the fans wanted the shifts to go so that's why that changed back yeah it, it, it's interesting I, I listened to schwarber talking about this bob i don't know if you uh, were able to catch any of that interview that he did from the golf course with uh with jason stark on starkville which was really great it was a great interview if anybody hasn't seen it youtube jason stark starkville and uh, schwarber 
is golfing and talking to him and Doug Landville for 45 minutes. It's really kind of fun. Um, but he talks a little bit about that, right? And he said that, um, you know, while, yes, he might get 10 more hits this year because of balls that he would normally pull into the into the hole and, and he had that second baseman playing short right field, which he would he called it a wall in the short right field. Um, he said the one the one thing that he hopes will be different is that instead of trying to hit the ball over everybody, that guys will just swing to make contact now. He says we're, he says we're not thinking of, when we go up there, we're not thinking about, oh, I need to swing a certain way to get the ball to go the other way or he says we're trying to just make contact. He said, but we've been because of shifts, we've been trying to hit it over people. He said, and that's kind of why our strikeout rates are going up. He said, the hope here is, is that when we go up to the plate now, now we're not thinking we have to hit it over everybody because we don't have that person where they're not supposed to be. So if anything, and again, is every hitter going to take that kind of conscious approach that, that Schwarber's talking about? Probably not. And that's why I think Anthony's probably right on with this. It's not going to have as much an impact as baseball thinks it is. But can certain hitters maybe get a you know get a, a change in their personal outcomes because they're now going up there with a slightly different approach yeah i do think there can be a benefit for some guys fair enough all right so i look at it and i i guess the the rule change that for me and, and anthony i i think that you this season you will come to appreciate this one as as well as as kind of taking the primary lead on covering these games uh the pitch clock do we like this? Are we against this? Because just from a, a totally selfish point of view, I love baseball. And, like, I'm not going to rush to get out of there on any given night. I, I'm not sitting here and saying, like, this game would be uh, infinitely better if it were 45 minutes shorter. But throughout the course of a season, you know, sometimes the pace lags a little bit, especially when you get into the dog days. A little, little bit of pace might be nice. Uh, I look at it, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see how it kind of if at all disrupts the rhythm of pitchers, if it disrupts the rhythm of hitters early on in the season, I would imagine that there might be a little bit of an adjustment, might take a little bit of time, but I do think that there is a need for this modern era of fan to condense these games a little bit. And so if that accomplishes it, then I think in, in theory, I'm for it. I roll, I see, I roll my eyes at that notion, Bob, because to me, I, I, I don't care. Look, I, I, don't, I don't think the sport's disappearing. Right, I'm I'm one of those people who say, hey, you can complain all you want about baseball that the younger fan is not as interested as they used to be. There's more uh, entertainment options, and that's that very well could be true. But the sport itself is not going. It's not like it's it's on it's, ex, it's going to be extinct if this these rules don't come into play. So that's why I roll my eyes at the notion of oh, it'll be great for the modern day fan who doesn't want to sit there as long. But, but like at the same time, right? Like I I hear you and I agree. And like you know we love baseball and people that love baseball. You know, they, they're never walking out of there and saying, like, that game took 35 minutes too long for my taste. But you can still see baseball's not going anywhere if you don't do anything. But are you improving the product and potentially opening it up a little bit more to a fan that does feel that way? Well, the, my, is, well here's my question. How is, is it, def, does it improve the product? Or does it, or does it, see, this is where I, this is where I think that we, we have a problem in professional sports in general. Every year, sports try to tweak their game to make it better, and oftentimes don't. And so to me, what we're doing here, making pitchers pitch faster, making hitters get in the box quicker, 
taking a lot of the strategy of the game, a lot of the the gamesmanship, which people, younger guys are, except for Anthony, I don't think he agrees with things this way, but younger guys don't think that that's part of the game when, in fact, the mental part of the game is huge in baseball. We are taking that out and we're just saying, get up there and swing. You know, don't even get up there and throw. Don't even think about it. Don't strategize it. Don't, you know, play that mind game, hitter, pitcher. The cat and mouse of hitter versus pitcher is awesome. Like, that's what makes baseball great. And we're taking that out of here just because we want younger fans to think that the game's better because it's it, it's now going to be two hours and 58 minutes instead of three hours and nine minutes on average. Like, I don't think that that's a big freaking deal. And I think it hurts the game. I don't know, Ant, if you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. So, like, they're literally using this average t- game length um, and you don't see people sitting there saying, oh, this game took this long. I'm upset that I got home at this time. It's only been pushed because it's been pushed in the media. The baseball world wants to push it because they're tired of the games being long. They're tired of the players being out there and nothing happening for nothing happening, quote unquote. So I think it's an absolute farce, the entire thing. But at the same time, the the rule itself is not, it, it's going to depend on how they implement it because they need to have leniency. You don't want, because there's going to be judgment calls. Like when a pitcher is starting his windup right at that rundown time, like does the umpire just stop the game like right at the zeros? Like, is it going to be, like a strict stop ball kind of thing. Like, that's the problem. We're, we're adding literal judgment calls into the game with a clock. And more judgment calls is not the way to go because slowly we've been getting rid of judgment calls and that's been improving the game. I think so this think, is just adding another layer to that. Think about that too, Bob. Imagine when this, this happens, right? You're, you're The umpire's going to call delay a game on a pitcher or a batter. You know automatically what's going to happen. They're going to bitch and complain. A manager's going to come out and argue it. There's going to be some yelling. And what is that doing? Oh, it's extending the game. It's going to make it longer. It's just going to, it's just going to be frustrating as hell for everybody. Nobody's going, to, nobody's going to like it. And I'll tell you what. There's just, there was a story in the um, Athletic this week, and I forget who wrote it. I, I wish I remember who wrote it. But it was an interview with our be- beloved commissioner, Rob Manfred, about all these rule changes. And he talked about it being very risky and that their Major League Baseball is preparing for it to actually fail. Like, they have a, a plan in place if it doesn't work. They wouldn't get into the details of it, but basically, like, we're, we have to be ready for it to fail. And we also have to be ready to, like Anthony just said, try and make it not fail by figuring out what kind of adjustment time is needed and how we're going to, uh, you know push how hard we're going to push with these new rules so i like i think that baseball at least recognizes that what they're doing is radical and hopefully they sit there and say if this does fail we'll we'll stop it quick but man i don't i don't like it a little bit i don't think it i don't think it improves the game one iota do you think that we're going to have that controversial moment in the month of april where this pitch clock implementation alters a game where like it's it's almost borderline under protest. Like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this happened. And, and you know, we're talking about literally the outcome of the game being solely dictated by what happens with this clock. You know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen at some point. Some game, your pitch a pitcher's going to be. It's going to be three two. You know, and he's, he's going to be standing on that mound and want to throw that, looking at the runners, whatever. Check and that clock's going to tip off and uh, some. Oh, umpire who wants to make a name for himself, you know, wants to wants to be that guy getting in the spotlight 
is going to call a delay and throw a ball and a run's going to score and everybody's going to be pissed off. It's going to be, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Baseball is creating a monster that they don't want to deal with. So, I, so just, I, I think it's the all the time. If like, think about like a clock running out at the end of a half or the end of a game, how people get very mad with like, imagine like the Cowboys game from, uh, Cowboys Niners playoff game from not this past year, but the year before where they, they had to wait for the ref to spot the ball and that made Cowboys fans very, very mad. So I have a, a guess here that, that you uh, both are not a fan of the uh, the limitations on being able to make a move over to first base. Just a guess. Just just a guess. It's, again, it's hurting the game. It's yeah. taking – It's all of a sudden you've, you've thrown over twice. Now you can't throw over again. You can, but you have to get them out. Like you, yeah. You've got, so it's not like – one thing that people do need to understand, unless I'm wrong, correct me, but you can. Like It's not like all of a sudden I can just take a lead 40 feet away from the bag. Like – I can right. make a move. If I get you out, you're out. So yeah, but you can take that extra step because now the yeah, pitcher's yeah. like it's it's like if I don't get him out, he's going to second base. Like I got to be perfect. To be fair with that one, that doesn't come up that often. Like how often are you? I mean, yes, there's the speedsters that you do that with, and that the idea of that is that you're actually giving runners a chance to extend their leads, which they haven't done in years because they just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. So it's actually adding that back in. The whole strategy behind it is dumb. The fact that you're getting you're getting rid of that strat strategic element of being able to keep throwing over. But the fact that the players haven't been playing that way, it's encouraging something positive at least. I don't I'm not as big of a harper on that one. All right. So we're we're like over three so far on these rule changes. So I'll I'll finish with the one that actually is my favorite. Uh <laughs> is the the bigger base. Uh which the way that I understand it, uh basically will cut down the path between first and second base by about four inches uh, in total. And so I think about all of the bang-bang plays that I see at second base, the plays where the runner overslides the bag and hooks off. And I think to myself, like, this could potentially benefit base runners. Like, this could increase steal rates uh, on both an attempt and conversion. Any downside to that? I mean, again, more action, a little bit more gamble. I know baseball has definitely become... Uh, all about the true outcomes. Uh, you know, does this add a little bit more of a, an element of action to the game? Yeah, I think I think it's a good change. I mean, it's not the best change, but it's, it's itself part of the problem, I think. So I think you're going to encourage more base stealing. You're actually going to increase double plays with this too because now with your shortstop being forced to be on that side of the field, he'll be that much closer to second base to turn a double play as well, which is going to create more... I mean, double plays are exciting. So base stealing and double plays are exciting. This is good because it's going to encourage that more. Um, I think there's better solutions to do that, but this is one of them. This is at least a good solution. Yeah, I, I don't have a major problem with this one at all, Bob. I actually, I actually think it's okay. Um, the only thing that I, if I'm looking for a red flag, and I think this is only in the current iteration of the game because you, these are guys that are that are playing at when the change happens. If this stays long term, this this eventually goes away because guys get used to it, but. With a slightly larger bag, was a little bit more square. When you you know this as someone who's coached and played the game, when you run the bases and you make that turn at second base to go to third, right? You're not always looking for the bag. Like you're, you just know it's there, right? You you have that inherent, you know, physical memory that that where that bag base is. You know when to make your turn and, and cut and go. All of a sudden, if that bag's sticking out an extra just a little bit. And you think you're going to hit that corner, and, it, and actually, like your your whole foot is now 
landing on the bag, you could turn an ankle pretty quickly and pretty easily. I think that there's that they're trying to make it that it's saying it's better for player safety because you're going to have less, you know, spikings and less stepping on, you know, on an ankle or something. I think that you could have some base running injuries, uh, running first to third, really with with these bags. That's my one red flag, but on the whole, I think it's it's fine. I don't think All that's right. actually going to come up because the corner of the base is still exactly where it was, and it's just being extended backwards. backwards. So, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we uh, kind of wrap here, I have three questions, uh, and I, I did tip you guys off to these questions. So I, th- I think that we all understand coming into spring training here that the, the story, really standpoint, is, is Andy Painter. Uh, will he be the fifth starter? Will he be here from opening day? So I'm going to set uh, an over-under for you. Uh, will he be here over-under, over, we'll say it's beforehand, under will be after, Um me first. I say under. I, I think. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he makes the team out of spring training. I think that they start. You start him down in Triple A. I think Bailey Falter is your five starter to start the season. And is that because of is that because of performance? Is that because of innings restriction? You know, just kind of making sure that you're easing him into things. Like, what is the the basis of that? Yeah, I do. I, I I do think that it's going to be a little bit of an inning restriction kind of thing. I, I, I don't – not to say that they're going to shut him down for April and then start him back up for May, but I just think it's a little bit easier to manage innings in the minor leagues, right? Like you could get a guy out of a start quicker. It doesn't really matter so much. Um, or you can give him that extra day and it's not impacting your major league roster and your pursuit of winning a – you know, getting into the playoffs and winning a championship. Whereas up here, you don't really want to be in that management of inning – mode i think you just kind of get it to a point and then say okay you know we have a guy that we we trust you know we talked about this bob last episode bailey falter how well he pitched in september right for for the phillies when they needed him so to ask bailey falter to give you five or six starts at the beginning of the season it's not the worst thing in the world right i mean i think it's i think it's okay um so yeah i'm gonna go under i think painter does pitch on this team i think he ends up getting about 115 innings with the phillies at some point um, but I don't think it's the start of the season. I don't think he's making the opening day roster, but I think he'll be on the Phillies very soon after. Um, it's He's your sixth guy, like he just is. So if any one of those pitchers gets hurt, any one of them, why would you turn to anyone else but Andrew Painter? He's already building a very strong relationship with JT Romuto. Like, it, it seems like he's capable of pitching at that level already. So if something happens, yes, you don't want to force him into it, so you're going to try to not. But within the first month of the season, almost always a, one of your starting five will get hurt. And rather than going to someone else, it's, it's going to be such a competitive division, you have to get every game you can. So you're going to bring up Andrew Painter. You know, the one thought that I have about this is, number one, we talked a little bit about this last week. The Phillies are playing from behind with both Atlanta and New York. And I just kind of wonder, like, if, if there's championship aspirations here, do you really have the luxury of not being able to put your five best guys on the field? And I, I do think that that's worth considering. And and I get the idea of it's easier to remove a guy in the minor leagues. It's easier to, you know, control his innings in the minor leagues. You you want to kind of ease him into it. But, like, if if he really does go out this this March and prove that he's one of their best five guys, like, I have a hard time with a team that that is kind of all in, so to speak, kind of not being all in from that standpoint. And then the other part of it is when I look at Aaron Nola, kind of I thought – 
fatigued a little bit down the stretch those last couple games deep in the NLCS World Series. You look at the innings that Zach Wheeler had last season, obviously was kind of going through, a, if you want to call it a dead arm or whatever he was going through. Like, to me, if there was ever a team that really needs to start the season with six starting pitchers and take some of the, the workload off of multiple guys, it's the Phillies. And, and, like, for me, I feel like, how do you not come out with a six-man rotation out of the gate and really try to manage three guys that, that I think you need to take a long look at? And Ranger Suarez, by the way, is a guy that, you know, do you feel like, I, I certainly felt like at times last year, he was tired. So the ability to kind of maybe take a little bit of a workload off of, of his plate, I just, I look at this and say like, man, this game is really, really set up to go six out of the gate. So here's, and I know Anthony has some thoughts on rotation setups for pitchers because he's come up with all kinds of crazy machinations in his in his day. But I, I'm not a fan of a six-man rotation so much as I'm a fan of having six or seven starting pitchers and keep it on a five-man rotation, but just kind of rotate that around a little bit, right? So that way you're not saying, okay, Zach just, Wheeler or Aaron. Just skip, like just periodically skip a guy and say, all right. Yeah, just you see, so you, you get, yeah, we're, we're going to we're gonna skip his turn this time around and he'll come back on the next one. So, and, and again, obviously Wheeler and Nola, you want them to, you still want them to start 32 times a year, right? If you can, um, you're not talking about like, you know, 25 starts, 26 starts for these guys. As long as they're healthy, you really want them to start. If they miss a, one start in each half of the season, I'm not, you know, that's okay. Like that's, that's mad. If that's how you're managing them, cool. Um, but I think, you know, when you start looking spots, three, four, five, six, seven, if all those guys are in that, you know, uh, 17 to 25 start range, I don't think that that's a bad thing, but I don't want it to be us every fifth, sixth day. Now you get an extra, that extra day rest. I don't like that notion. I think that that throws pitchers off a, just a little bit. I know some guys are good with extra rest. Some guys are not. Um, as long as they get their four days rest, I think that they're fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of of a six man actual rotation. And did we lose him? Oh no, we may have lost him. You still have me? Yeah, I do have you. Uh, I do have. I think uh, he just yeah. yeah he's cra- he crashed. He's gonna he just texted me. He's gonna he's gonna hop back in. Yeah, and listen, man, I, I get where you're coming from on that. I know, especially early on in the season, you have a lot of different off days mixed in, so then things can get really disjointed. I just do think, though, and I think it kind of just comes back to a larger picture for me, which is this team has, I think, some workload concerns across the board, and I don't think that they're just on Andy Painter. I think it really, I am a little bit concerned. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I'm needlessly concerned about Aaron Nola's workload right now. I know the guy's a horse. He's throwing a ton of innings. He's reliable. The Zach Wheeler thing gives me a little bit of pause. Like, we went through that with him last year where he came out of the gates and he wasn't right. It took him about a month and a half to kind of really get rolling. And as good as he was, especially in that final start against Houston, I just, I I saw him talk about it. I saw, everyone saw it. Like, he just, he wasn't in full go down the stretch in the postseason. And he's just good enough and ballsy enough to be able to push through it. So, that's what gives me a little bit of concern. Yeah, I mean, look, Bob. I, you know me. I'm. I, I. I could sit here and bitch and complain all day that that pitchers aren't prepared to throw that many innings, and that's a problem with the sport and not, you know, with the individual because this is how pitchers are being treated now, right? Um, but I'm not going to sit there and give you that 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 old school mentality argument 
if this is in fact how baseball is going and this is how we're going to have our pitchers be, then you are right. You need to manage those innings better so that at the end of the season, when the games, when you're pitching in the playoffs, you don't have tired Aaron Nola. You don't have tired Zach Wheeler. You have guys that are more fresh and ready to go. And if that means they have two or three less starts in the regular season to get there, well, then so be it, right? I mean, let's 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 be honest about it. You want those guys at their peak when you need them to be at their peak. So so yeah, I, in that in that vein, I'm on board with it. I just don't like six men at once. I just think it just needs to be scheduled a little bit differently. All right, then let me just throw this one at you real quick. And we saw this in the postseason. A lot of teams tend to do this more so in October than rather than early on in the season. But what about like you know going like with a tandem or a piggyback setup? Early on, where you say, "Okay, that that last spot, you can just pair up Falter and Painter and say, okay, guys, like that, that's how you're going to limit. That's how you're going to limit the innings. Like that's how you're going to mitigate some of those concerns a little bit." Uh yeah, I, I got it. No, and, and I, I look. Or is that a waste of a roster spot? Like, do no, you like, just say, "Well, like, or, is that really the best use of that that additional pitcher?" Um, no, I mean, look, I mean, you could. I'll, I mean, I'll let Anthony's back with us, and I'll let him talk about it real quick because I know that he has a, a thought on how pitchers should be used in this in this spot, kind of like that road, that bullpen starter is what he calls it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, there's there are creative ways to make it happen. You know, they keep talking about pairing pitchers and you know tag teaming a start and stuff like that. I think that gets a little in the weeds too, right? I mean, so I I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that there are ways to go about it, but I, you know, and I'm I'm on board with trying things, but I don't want to do something that's that's going to hurt the team. And I'm gonna, I was just about to throw it to him again, and I think his picture's frozen again. So I'm wondering if there's a real internet issue down there. So I don't want to I don't want to throw it to Anthony at this point. Yeah, we're we're all having uh, internet issues today. Even like as we're talking here, like I have the little like a uh, the little Wi-Fi bar on my screen, and I'm getting like I'm bouncing back between unstable and stable, but. I still yeah. had you see that, so we'll power through here. Yeah. I mean, listen, I get it. I understand. I just think that you listen to this team talk, what they've said coming in before camp, what you're hearing out of camp early. I just feel like if they really think that this kid's the truth and he goes out and pitches like it, I just I have a hard time saying, you know what, we're going to ease into it. We'll see you in May. We'll see you in June when, when we can control your workload. I, I understand it, especially if you're making a postseason push and you want this kid to be at full tilt for that. And maybe he doesn't pitch well in March, so maybe this doesn't even matter. But right now, I think it's a really interesting question. And then that brings us to to the next thing I want to talk about. This team is really going to rely on two players that showed big-time flashes last year in Bryson Stott and Alec Bone, two homegrown guys. So I ask you this. What do you expect from each of these players? Like, do you think that that both are going to take another step forward? Is one going to be set up to, to potentially struggle a little bit? You know, like who has the better year between these two? I guess is a good way to set this up. That's a that's a tough question, Bob. And I and I got to be honest because I don't want it to be that I you know if I pick a side that I'm I think the other side's going right. to not have a good year. No, that, and, that's, and, that's entirely fair. Yeah, it's it's tough. But I'm. I'll tell you that right now, I believe, and this is only just a slight edge, but I believe a little bit more in Bryson Stock than I do in Alec Bo. Ultimately, of being a, a, you know, a very, very good player potential in in baseball, 
I think Stott's got an it factor that can develop into making him a legitimate star player, not a superstar type level player, but a, a, a like a top end second baseman in baseball for for a long time. Not that I don't think Alec Bohm's got similar qualities, because I do. I just think that there's there are certain weaknesses to his game that have not manifested or, or improved, and things in his game that have not manifested, like the power and the things. I think Alec Bohm needs to be a little has to show a little bit of power. Otherwise, if you're just a 280 hitter uh, who hits 15 home runs a year and plays subpar defense at third base, ultimately you're just a guy, right? I mean, and it's fair to say that this is the season where we kind of truly learn what Alec Bohm is. I like, think, I think, I think so. I think so. I think we have to. I mean, look, the other possibility is we see an improvement in his power, right? Let's say he jumps to be like a 25 home run guy. Let's say that he gets to that point. And that's fantastic. That would be good for the Phillies. If you have that at all of a and Alec Bohm can move over and become a first baseman, right? And, and then you also say, okay, well, now if, if you got that little bit of power, you're hitting high, like a slightly higher average. Now we're putting you in a position that isn't as important defensively. And you're, you know, you're still young. You got that good contact, opposite field contact. Okay, maybe this works. But if not, now listen, you got to figure. Now you got to think about it, right? I mean, so I think that that's, I think that's a bigger question ultimately this season for the Phillies than Bryson Stott ever. I think Stott is is solid and will be locked in at second base for a long time. Yeah, and can I just say, and I've I've said this before, I've speculated about Al Boom potentially becoming a first baseman for this team. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Like, I, I really don't. Like, if Reese Hoskins isn't here long term, I, I don't think that the Phillies are ever going to turn to Alec Bohm and say, you know what, why don't you come over and play first base? Your defense will hold up a little bit better. There's just enough power that we can make it work if we have the right pieces around you. I just don't see it. Like, it always strikes me as like the, the to kind of make a football comparison. It's like when a linebacker is, is a little light and like just can't quite hold up in the run, but you really like the guy. So maybe you can play safety instead. But like, he's just not really a fit. Like, that's what I feel like Alec Bohm is when we talk about him being a first baseman. Hey, you might be right. You might be spot on correct with that, Bob. I mean, I, I'm just saying that that could manifest yeah. itself as oh, a no, possibility. I totally get it, it. If it, if it, if, you know, but who knows? I mean, you, you might be spot on. He may never be that. And then, then you have to make a decision, you know, in that vein as well. So, um, yeah, not everything is perfect. Not everything is hunky-dory wonderful. This the Phillies team as exciting as they're going to be, you know, fans should not expect October for April, May, June, July, August, and September, right? I mean, it's it's not going to repeat that. It's going to be up. There's going to be fits and starts and ups and downs with with guys, and that's okay. I mean, that's what baseball is. But yeah, I, I think ultimately, if you're comparing those two guys, I think Stott will be the more consistent everyday. Yeah, I mean, the answer here, it's a slam dunk, too. Like, I appreciate you being fair to Alec Boom and, and nothing against him. The answer is Bryson Stott. You talk the yeah. it factor. He's going to play plus defense at second base. I think that that's very much something that needs to kind of be looked at here. And I just think that there's a little bit more growth, a little bit more of a ceiling in that player. I think we kind of know. Like, I would be genuinely surprised. And I have a lot of respect for Alec Boom and the way that he sort of resurrected his, his season and really his whole career path last season. I mean was remarkable really considering where he was and where he finished I have all the respect in the world for Alec Boehm 
but I just think that Bryson Stott is kind of that guy. And I, maybe so much so that the numbers aren't going to blow you away, but I think we here in Philadelphia might value Bryson Stott more than what people across the game will value him. And and I think he's just going to be that type of player. So for me, the answer is Stott. So I have yeah. one more. I have yeah. one more before we roll out of here. And it's just a simple numbers game. How many All-Stars for the Phillies this season? So it's tough to call because, you know, baseball has to give every team a guy, right? So you really can't get a lot. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you you could have multiple players having a great year and somebody gets a snub, and that's mostly because of the way that the system works. Um, but, I mean, if you're looking at candidates, right? I mean, who are the candidates that, that could potentially get there? So you look at the team and you go Turner, Schwarber, um, Nola Wheeler, and Real Muto probably are your five guys i would think you know somebody could come out of the woodwork but those are your probably your five um that you that you think up front of those five how many will get there three is that fair to say three yeah that's my number i i got no yeah. i actually think nola makes it i think the real muto makes it and i think turner makes it those are my yeah. three yeah and that's and that's that's fine totally fine now, again could could like a Sir Anthony Dominguez have like a fantastic first half and get in as a reliever, hundred percent? You know, could could another hitter go off for the first half of the season and all of a sudden he gets you know a lot of momentum and gets in? Sure, it's possible. But no, I think that I think those are the five guys that have your best chance, and two of them definitely, I think, and then I think a third. Yeah, and I would be inclined to include Dominguez for the thing that. Obviously, is a concern is that I think that there's going to be five different Phillies in the month of April that record saves, um, and and certainly it's going to take a little bit of time to establish like who's taking down the ninth inning the majority of the time. But I just think that there's going to be enough diversification in the back end of that bullpen that he's not going to have some of those counting stats that a lot of like voter types will look at. So, I mean, if he's if he's you know multi innings and taking down all the best night in night out, he's going to make it regardless of whether or not he's finishing games, but. I just think at the end of the day, the lack of saves or the potential lack of saves might kind of keep him out. So I just look at it. and I always think it's an interesting question. Just like, what do you expect now versus what do you expect at the end of March versus what do you expect once the season actually starts to get rolling? So we will get games. Uh, we are just days away from the first games here as the rest of the hitters come into camp and finally get moving and have something to react to on the field other than just B-roll of, of guys uh, playing catch and, and doing calisthenics. So we're almost there. Really looking forward to that. I don't know before we get out of here if you have a one last thing. I do. I do. One, real quick, and it actually kind of ties in. Uh, and Anthony Anthony was having major computer issues, so he was texting me. I was just texting back when he apologizes that he couldn't be here for the end. So just wanted to say that for the, for the audience. Um, but uh, my one last thing uh, is outside of the Phillies, but actually has an... Uh, correlation to the Phillies. Um, saw the Manny Machado news, right, uh, over the weekend that he's already gonna, saying that he's looking to potentially opt out of his contract in San Diego um, at the end of the season. And and my question for you, Bob, is, so there's this is actually like a kind of a two-fold uh, conversation, but my question for you is, one, if you're if you're a leader on that Padres team and you see the the commitment that they've made, you got to the NLCS last year. You've brought in even more talent this year to try and make that run to win a championship. Why would you 
why would you put this out into the universe at this point and and sow some some doubt or some maybe you know potential bad feelings in the city or within the organization about you potentially walking away at the end of the year so that's number that's question number one for Manny Machado and then secondarily does this news make Bryce Harper's contract with the Phillies where he didn't have an opt-out and guarantee that he'll be here all that time from the same offseason even that much better than Machado's ever ever could have been here if he would have chosen the Phillies yeah. instead. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, Manny Machado right now is talking about, what, 10 years, $400 million? That, yeah. that That's kind of what they're looking at. And markets yeah. change, as he noted, and he's not wrong. And you look at the, the free agency class coming this winter, it's not particularly strong. And we know that there are players in the game now, like the Steve Cohens of the world. You see what San Diego is willing to spend. You know, do they do they kind of sell out to keep him there? He's going to probably get that money. He's probably going to do it. So from his standpoint, like, listen, I, I just think that we're in an era where guys are are realistic and they're honest and they're almost a little bit forthright about like, hey, I, I can get this. I'm going to get it. From a from a Philly standpoint, if you go back and say, listen, you're going to get what is this? Is this year five of the deal? Like when Harper and Machado came in? 18, uh, was it 18 or 19? 19, 19, 19, was the right, first yeah. 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, so this is year five. So yeah. now you're you're now committing to, if you were San Diego and you do the Manny Machado deal, you're doing 14, you're, you're doing 15 total years now with yeah. Manny Machado, and it's it's going to cost you well over, well beyond, what was it that uh, Harper did, 325? I mean, yes. the duration of Harper's entire contract. 330, 330. 330. Is yeah. three thirty, and now you're resetting the clock five years in on Machado and adding another four hundred million to it. I mean, yeah. we we all kind of suspect that the Harper contract would have hurt at the end, and it may still. But now, when you look compared to what Machado is about to bring down, holy yeah. shit, it might be one of the best contracts we've ever seen. They just have to win a World Series, right? No, you're right, and 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 I just don't understand the whole. Com- you know, yeah, I know the media is going to ask about it about opting out. So- but you just just downplay it. Don't even talk about it, right? Yeah. Have the conversations privately. I mean, you want to have a conversation with the Padres and say, "Hey, listen, you know, we're gonna we're if his agent wants to say we're gonna walk at the end of the year if you don't give him this this contract. Fine, but you keep that out of the keep it out of the public the eye. Only upside to it though is it, it may not be great internally. It may not be great within the the vibe of San Diego and what they're trying to accomplish this season when they have so much talent and so much promise. But what it does is it answers the question that everybody's going to talk about anyway, which is what will Manny Machado do? What does Manny Machado want? And what it's going to do is it's going to Manny Machado is going to be one of the most talked about players in baseball all year, all year from start to finish. And, you know, maybe his team, his agents, his his people himself, maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants to be the focal point, the darling, the, the most talked about guy in the sport for the next six months. For this very reason, you know, and that's the only up to really think about in terms of just, hey, all the buzz is going to be around him. What's he going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. It's a wild situation to me. But yeah, I think that Philadelphia should be happy that Bryce Harper has the deal that he has at this point. Yeah. I mean, if I were a Padres fan, I would not be thrilled. You know, no. I just I, I would not be thrilled. I, I'd yeah. say, like, listen, we have a, a chance to win a championship here. It can be about you. You'd be selfish. Get your money. 
But there's really nothing that you like. There's no upside for us as a team, as an organization, as a fan base. Are you going out and talking about this openly right now? Correct. Absolutely. All right. Well, for uh, Anthony Jr., uh, who uh, was in earlier on the show, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. We'll be back on Friday uh, with our next episode of Crossed Up. Make sure that you check us out on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Talk soon.